1: All right. Joining me on the line right now is a former NWA Midwest heavyweight champion. He is, of course, the younger brother of the legendary Chris Candido and the new book, No Gimmicks Needed. He is the co-author. He is Mr. Johnny Candido. Welcome to the two-man power trip of wrestling. How you doing?
2: Hey, good, man. Thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. No problem, and obviously, you know, the
1: book has just come out, No Gimmicks Needed, the Chris Candido story by yourself and Mr. John Cosper. Tell us, you know, a little bit about this awesome book. So, uh,
2: so what happened was around like, you know, 2009, 2010, I was just kind of getting out of the business, but I was still, I officially retired in like 08, but people were calling back for a retirement, uh, you know, for memorial shows or whatever. And they'd always be like, Johnny, you know, you got to write a book on your brother's life because, you know, for the, for the, me and him were always together, but for the last like five years of his life, we were together like 24 seven, you know? So they're like, Johnny, you know, you know him the best. Just write a book about his life. So I start writing the book and let's say I get like, you know, a hundred pages in and I read it back. And I'm just like, I felt like I haven't even scratched the surface because I'm with this guy all the time. And then, so I I put that to the side. Fast forward, you know, six months ago, and this guy, John Cosper, calls me, and he's like, you know, I I was talking to Tracy Smothers. I did Tracy Smothers' book, and Tracy Smothers said, you have to do Chris Candido's book. He was my favorite opponent and just a great guy. So Tracy Smothers, you know, told John Cosper to get in touch with me. And he did, so he was interviewing me for the book, and I said, you know, by the way, I have a book that I worked on. Would you like to check it out? He said, absolutely. I emailed it to him. He said, this is great stuff. Can I use some of it, and you can be the co-author. I said, yeah, absolutely. And so that's how it started. And then I think I probably talked to him every every day for five, six months because everywhere I went, I passed the house. Be like, oh, that's the time, you know, me and my brother – stopped and shoveled this old lady snow where oh, this is the like as, everywhere i go you know I, I think about times where i pretty much every day with us was like a story so it was very hard to pick and choose which which ones went into the book you know
1: it's almost like he john uh, casper's like the uh you know the gatekeeper like okay this one works this one
2: doesn't let's go with this let's go with that uh, good to
1: have him obviously very very experienced yeah, no, author
2: absolutely he is and uh he knows the X's and O's of like, you know, this match happened at at this time and at this pay-per-view and this event. And I'm kind of like, like, yeah, I remember that event, but I remember it from like, you know, being backstage and this is what happened. And so he, like, he's giving you the facts and I'm kind of telling you what's going on behind the scenes. Yes. And it's so interesting with Chris because
1: obviously not gone way, way too soon, but he was such a legend in, in a period of time that he was there, but also everybody loved him, right? I mean, all the boys in the back, everybody loved him. They always have
2: good stories to tell about him. Yeah, it's and still, like, you know, even before the book, people would always hit me up and, we're, you know, telling me great stories. Everybody from wrestlers, the you know, from fans to current wrestlers now. And what's been even funny about the book is, you know, um, guys who have gotten it, like like guys in the business, like, you know, who were young when... Who were just like, I'm coming up when my brother was there, and, you know, fans, you know, they, 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 uh, you know, I'd say, How do you like the book? And they would write back. They were like, Dude, I thought it was the greatest book ever. But, you know, I, I just got to tell you, I'm biased because your brother was so cool and so awesome to me that, you know, anything about him I'm going to love. I swear to God, 80% of the people have told me that because he was just, you know, such a very, you know, down to earth guy who, uh, he was just really cool, really really nice to everyone. He was never, uh, you know, he, he he never thought he was, like, too much of a hot shower took himself too seriously. He took wrestling very seriously, but you know what I mean? He was very uh, just cool, chilled, you know, chilled out dude.
1: Have you guys been getting uh, a lot of good press and a lot of uh, good reviews in the book so far?
2: Yes, yes, absolutely. We've been getting, you know, a lot of good press. Um, and there's, like, more to... There's going to be a lot more also as I'm doing, you know, podcasts. And now that people have, like, finished the book, they're going to ask me questions. But, yeah, the good, like, the, the reviews on Amazon have all been five stars and some of them have been, like, really touching. And then, uh, you know, people just DMing me these reviews and telling me their stories about how they met my brother. Or, you know, like, there's, you know, certain guys in the wrestling business who are like, you know, your brother is my favorite wrestler. He's my inspiration. You know, like it, it's just—it's just really great to see that all these years, you know, like you know, damn, it's only been—it's—it's it's been more than fifteen years. It seems like yesterday, and uh, but yeah, he's he. Anytime I like listen to a wrestling podcast or do anything, somehow my brother's name always gets brought up. He was just always, always around, you know, and just always. He he was wrestling. It was his favorite thing to do. It's all he ever cared about doing. He loved every part of it from the training to the, to the driving, the traveling, the airports, the hotels. He just loved it. He was just, you know, in his glory when, when he was in that element, you know, it seems like he's one of those
1: guys. Like he's a sponge. You know, he took to everything. Super young to be able to make it to the WWF when he did, and um, you know, obviously wrestling Smoky Mountain and just really I mean, on the indie scene, he was much more advanced than the, a lot of the other guys. He was basically, you know, like a, a, a savant almost, like for wrestling. You know what I mean? He's just one of those guys.
2: Yeah, and it's kind of crazy because he, like, he's—I'm not going to say sucked, but he he didn't care to play any other sports like you know i like i played every sport and you know all that all that meant to him was wrestling like i remember you know like i you know i, I was a pitcher in little league and through high school and i had like a cannon for an arm and i was like bro come on catch me you know let's play catch and i would freaking rifle fastballs at him and he would try to get out of the way and like smack it with the catcher's mitt and the ball would just like ricochet up into the air and i'd catch it he's like see i'm so good i throw it and I catch it and throw it at the same time, but uh, when it came to wrestling, yeah, he was just uh, he was just a sponge. Like he started he started running shows at Marucci Park in Spring Lake when he was thirteen years old, because that's when uh, he met Larry Sharp from the from the Monster Factory, and uh, he already had like a little crew. I mean, just think about how crazy this is. You know, you know the area we're from. Yep. My brother would take a bus from here to Brooklyn to wrestle in like the equivalent of what boxers call like smokers, like small, like underground clubs. And they would have these wrestling matches and unsanctioned wrestling matches in Brooklyn. Him and his friend Scott would do it. And, you know, Scott would say he was staying here for the night. Chris was saying that he was stay at Scott's house and they would take the damn bus to Brooklyn. And, uh, and he started running shows in Marucci Park at Spring Lake, even to the point, you know, he went before the town council, like dressed in a suit, and you know, like laid out, like why he should have wrestling here and all this stuff, and uh, it, it was just all consuming. Like still in his old room, there's, there's got to be tens of thousands of wrestling magazines that are just, you know, all of them have notations in them. All the all the uh, you know the, the rankings are changed. He's booking shows. He's booking his own shows. When, he, when he's he's just like. Like I said, just all consumed with, with wrestling and, and training. And he was just such a happy guy because he got to do what he loved so much. And you guys are like
1: super, super close, obviously. What was the experience like writing this book? Was it tough at all on you kind of reliving some of the stuff or did it kind of cheer you up a lot Um, and think of those happy times?
2: I, to be honest, I, I haven't, I haven't read the end because, uh, I remember I remember like initially when I wrote the book, I'm like, Let me get all this the you know, the, the the tough stuff out of there and write about 'cause like, you know, after he had his accident in the ring, I talked to him I wasn't in Florida but I was here. I talked to him while he was at the hospital, he's fine, everything's cool, I feel great. On T V the next day, talked to him, Hey bro, everything's great, everything's fine. Um and then he's he's you know, back in Jersey and I call him at his house. I'm like, "Yo, dude, what's going on?" You know, he's like, "Nothing. I'm just gonna hang out, get some sleep. You can come by, chill if you want." I'm like, uh, oh, you know what? Just just get some sleep and, uh, you know, and call me in a couple hours or whatever." A Couple hours go by, and uh, and I get a call. I, f- I forget who it's from, but they're like, "Cook's in the hospital." Uh, I'm sorry, you know, Cook is his nickname. Yes, from yep. the book. They're yep. like, they're like, Cook's in the hospital, and you know if you if you read the book when he was going through like his 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 drugs and stuff when he didn't have somas or something to like any central nervous system depressant he would have a seizure and i i was there for a lot of them and i would like pull him out of the seizure and you know he would come to and he'd be fine and i remember freaking this felt different though i i drove to the hospital and i burst into the door and they're like um you know, I'm like, I'm like, I'm looking for Chris Candido. They're like, have you spoken to a family member yet? I said, no, no. What, what You know, what room is he in? And I get into the room. And he's there on the on the bed. I'm like, cook, cook, cook. Wake up, wake up. And I'm trying to get him to to wake up. And t- his his body was like still warm, but then when I went and grabbed his hand, I could feel that there wasn't blood flowing. I was just like, oh my god, like I I couldn't believe it. And then, you know, my my mom was like fifteen twenty minutes behind me. And I remember I parked my car and I got out, my mom went with my little sisters. I got out, I walked around, I found a random church, said a couple of prayers, sat in my car, and then I saw my mom and my sisters pull up to the, you know to the hospital, run inside, and then all run back outside crying, "Man, I'll never forget that shit." But you know so yeah, I, I haven't read the end to this book yet. I know what's in it because I wrote it at the time. But it was, uh, and then from after he passed away, it was like, um, like the entire wrestling community like descended upon Spring Lake. Like any wrestler you could think of, you know, was here from Cactus Jack to Terry Funk to Jay Lethal to Homicide to just everyone, and uh, you know, thousands of people at the at the you know at the funeral parlor, and then the next day at the wake, and then at the repast, and then after that, me maybe like my 15, 20 closest friends, Sandman, Sabu, all came back to my parents' house, and, you know, we had like a little impromptu party in the backyard, you know, we were drinking, telling stories, and, uh, you know, for the next couple days, you know, I was surrounded by friends, Sandman, Sabu decided uh, to stay for a couple more days, and then after that, I went right back wrestling, so it's like I didn't really hardly process it, you know what I mean? Yep. So, it, But, you know, I was lucky to have, you know, really good friends like that. And I still, I still do. But yeah, that, that time was tough. And, you know, like, like you said, I know know you read the book and that there was a lot of really messed up times. I mean, go figure when they were like, Rich, those were the crazy times where Tammy would attack him in his sleep. And then, you know, he was freaking out about the rumors of Shawn Michaels. And I was like watching all that shit. But what like, what I think about more is when he got clean, when, you know, you know, when we were together, clear-headed, you know, going on kayak rides, and, you know, then, you know, then we started being booked together and just traveling and just having so much fun. So the, I think about the good times, and it it makes me sad, but it makes me happy also, because if, if he had gone out, you know, just overdosed on drugs or something. He would have just been a, you know, a footnote in, in wrestling. And he deserves much more than that because he gave everything he had to this business, you know? Yeah. So I'm so, I'm so glad that, yeah, I'm so glad that if he had to go, he went out, you know, on top, clean off drugs and his legacy is, is intact, you know? Yes.
1: And, uh, I do a show with Shane Douglas, uh, every week, triple threat podcast. And obviously, you know, love Chris, that's his buddy. And they shared the affinity of loving kiss together. So, I mean, there's yeah. so many just interesting stories, like not even totally wrestling stories, but there's just some like non wrestling stories that are just so cool. And I'm a big kiss mark too, but it's like, Oh, they like, that's pretty cool. Like hanging out with
2: Peter Chris or you know, stuff like that. It's like, yeah, that oh, one, man, like
1: the like cool connections.
2: I was going to say, did, did you, did you catch that one in the beginning of the book? Yes. yes, That, yeah, <laughs> I just, so you, yeah, you obviously, you know, you know where spring lake is and yep. you know, the, the boardwalk is is full of benches, and some of them have plaques on it. And my brother, the only job he ever had besides being a professional wrestler, was being a locker boy at the South End, in Spring Lakes, with like where our family lives across the street from. And you know, as a locker boy, you you freaking you know you shovel the steps and you know mm-hmm. do whatever you, you you know you do when you're twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. So uh, he would do that, and for overtime, he would. Uh, you know, there, there's a pool on the south end and a pool in the north end, and it's you have to. It, it gets filled with ocean ocean water, so you pull a valve to drain it, and when it's drained, you pull a valve to to open it, and and you know the the person would do this at nighttime, so so he would work during the day and then overtime he'd work at night filling the pools, so his bench is right outside the south end. Pool entrance, and it says, "You know, Chris Candido, our our son, our champion at Peace by the Beach." And one day, I'm walking up, you know, from the beach and sitting on my brother's chair is Peter Chris from Kiss. And I was just like, "I'm like, it, it it looked just like Peter Chris without the makeup. He had like these beatnik glasses on, and he had kind of this like, I don't know, this like kind of shaggy hair, but it was, it was Peter Chris." I said, "Are you Peter Chris?" He's like, yeah, I am. I said, you know, uh, you know, I don't mean to bother you, but I just have to say that, you know, my brother, he was a, a a professional wrestler, and, you know, he he loved you guys more than anything, and you're sitting on on his bench, and he's like, really, man, that's really cool, and uh, you know, we just had like a quick little chat, and, you know, nice to meet you, kind of deal, but I was just smiling, like, holy crap, like, what are the chances, you know. So, so freaky.
1: That's one of those like things where it's like he's almost like sending a message through you, through Peter to you, through Peter Chris. Kind of you know, look like, freaky and, and, and sort of well, like, really yeah. cool. Yeah,
2: yeah. I mean, I, I've had tons of experiences like that. Like when when uh, you know when Hurricane Sandy destroyed the boardwalk, just ripped everything up, ripped all the benches off, everything on the beach. You know, on the south end, right by where his uh, you know, right, uh, right by where his bench was, you know, walking across the beach. The only plaque that we found was his. The plaque from from his bench washed right back up on his beach. So wow! I took, it, I took it and put it in his trophy case, and now he's got another, you know, another plaque on another bench. But it's crazy. Like it's not like there was plaques like rolling up. His was the only one that we that got spit back out by the ocean, and I picked it up. It was nuts. Wow! Very and, freaky. And just just like you know all the things that happened to me in the business, like I was nowhere near as dedicated and, and crazy about wrestling as he was. I mean, I loved it because he loved it. But like you know, we had these things. Like you know, we would talk about things. He's like, dude, you know, he's like, one day, you know, you, you're going to get up there to wrestle, you know, in, in, in the WWE. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm like, he were, he was like already doing. Uh, you know, like house shows and doing jobs and stuff when it was like 20, 21. I'm like, yeah, I'm not, like, I'm not crazy like like you were. I'm like, oh, maybe by like 24, I'll get there. At the time, I was like 20, so I thought like 24 was like, and you were older, you know? Mm-hmm. But uh, that summer, my birthday was in May, and I think it was June. I was 24, and I wrestled for WWE, and I was 24. And then I won the NWA Midwest title then i and like, like all, all my wrestling dreams to wrestle for WWE to, to win an NWA title and to wrestle at the ECW arena. I wrestled at the ECW arena many times, but those were my like three goals and they all came true. And it has to do with my brother. You know, I just, there, there's no way of like explaining it, you know? So, I totally, totally agree. Yep. know exactly yeah, what
1: you mean. Very cool. Um, like it's almost hard to believe, but it, it's it's almost like they're sending a little message to you or giving you a little bit of a positive vibe. It's it's very cool. Like on the surface, like you, when you really think about it, it's like man, that happened because of you know Chris, or that happened because of them. I mean, that, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah,
2: no, I, 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 yeah, I definitely feel that, you know, all the time, and uh, and 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 I know, you know, I'm not going to get too weird, but I have like. You know certain reoccurring dreams with with, with him in there, and and uh, you know he's he's definitely glad. Let's he he'd be glad to know that I'm out here keeping his memory alive and keeping his you know keeping his name out there and 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 telling a story because you know if, if I don't tell a story, it lets people you know imply things. Or, you know, trying to tell it for them when I was the one who was there. So I I want to tell the story, if that makes sense. Like, you know, you hear some people be like, oh, you know, we heard Tammy was banging this one and Chris knew about it. He must have been into it. I'm just like, into it? That's why he was freaking trying to hang himself? Because I'm like, he, trust me, he wasn't into it. You know, so it's like if I don't clear the record, who's going to do it? You know? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So that, that's kind of, you know, why I wanted to, like, take that on. And just also because he's my older brother and I love him to death. So, got to clear
1: the air, you know, and yeah, get yeah, somebody exactly. spreading,
2: spreading lies or spreading
1: some false rumors out there.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. What so is
1: I, your um, relationship with her though? I mean, bad or non-existent or what's going on with her?
2: I'd call it uh, non-existent, non-existent to bad. Mm-hmm. Because uh, just as if I started telling you stories, like, I, I, I wouldn't even know where to start or where to end. Like, uh, I think the, like, the yeah, I, I think the last time I saw her was, I, I know I saw her after the funeral because she managed me a couple times. But, I mean, she would do shit like, like, I remember, you know, like, me and my buddies were in the park and I see my brother's car, you know, driving down the street. And I'm like, that's weird. And then I go up into my parents' house, into my brother's old room, and his WWE belt, the NWA Midwest belt, all these other belts. Like, my brother's shit is gone from out of our, me and his room. Like, we have the fourth floor as ours. And there's, like, two separate rooms. One's, like, a little gimmick room with, like, posters and wrestling magazines. And one's, like, a big, like, but she came up here and stole all the shit. Like, and put it on fucking eBay. And, you know, I was like, Tammy, I'm like, give me that shit the fuck back. She's like, I didn't take it. And then I, I remember I called Ed Schumann, the the NWA Midwest guy. He's like, Johnny, he's like, if you don't get that fucking belt back, I'll call him the fucking cops. I'm just like, Jesus Christ. I'm like, Tammy, <laughs> fucking meet me somewhere and, you know, give me the shit back. So she ended up meeting me at Connolly Station in Belmar. And funny enough, I'm like, hey, Tammy, got any somas? She's like, sick now. She takes two bites of her food face first all sum it up. So I called my cousin Vinny to help me fucking drag her out of there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, think about how you would feel. Like your brother, if, if I had known that she was cheating on him at the time, I, I always wanted to believe him when he was just like, dude, it's just rumors. Don't believe it. And then as soon as he dies, you know, she's on shows talking about, oh, you know, I banged this guy, I banged this one, and this one, and this one. You know, how infuriating would that make you as, as somebody's yep, yep. brother? You know what I mean? Yep. It's making him look like a fucking idiot. And, you know, it's fine if I call him a fucking idiot, but I don't like people on the Internet or whoever calling him a fucking idiot. Not that it matters, but it's just, you know, just the the shit that she came out and did afterwards is just it's just really messed up. And there's just so many other things. Just I, I like I said, I, I can't even begin to start telling you like so, I don't know if you read. I, I I can I threw. John reeled me in a lot on the stories, but like I, I don't know if you got to the point where it was me and my brother were were just getting books together, obviously, and she wasn't even wrestling anymore. So we'd kind of like try to play down the shows, like oh we got to go to Massachusetts, it's gonna be the shit, so you know, and then we'd like convince her to stay home. But sometimes she would like go and lock herself in my car and be like. I'm coming. I'm not, I don't care. So inevitably, she'd come. Then just one night, for example, after the show, we're in the back. Uh, they have like a little bar area for all the wrestlers. And like me and a bunch of guys are sitting around a table. She's up at the bar. She's drinking. All of a sudden, she hauls off and smacks some dude in the face, starts attacking him. I'm the first one there. I grab the dude. I push him outside. I'm going to put the boots to him. And I hear my brother going, time to go, time to go. She's puking in a garbage can. People are taking pictures with their freaking cell phone. Um, so, so me and my brother pick her up, put her in the back of the car, close the door, whatever. That's part of the course. But we're driving. And for some reason, Tammy had no fucking problem with any other drugs, but she hated pot. For some reason, hated it. Hated the smell of it. Anytime I smoked, she would lose her fucking mind, even though it was my car. But, damn, you know, this is before he got clean. It's like 2003. He's like, damn, I wish we had some, some somas tonight, you know. I'm like, dude, you don't need any somas. I'm like, just, we'll, maybe will split a joint. With that, she wakes up out of her fucking stupor. And she's like, smoke pot, motherfuckers, and just started attacking both of us. So, mind you, I'm 19. It's pouring rain. I'm in Boston. I was drinking. I took a couple gimmicks, smoked. I don't know where the fuck I am. I'm driving, in rain with this crazy lady beating me and my brother, kicking the back of the chairs, going nuts. So I pull up the first exit. I park in a, in a mall parking lot, pouring rain out. I get out, my dude, handle this, please. I start walking away. Then I see a cop car pull up to my car. I'm like, holy fuck. So I fucking jog back. Then um, she opens the back door, and she's like, uh, she goes, I woke up, and these two were beating me. And I'm like, what, you crazy psycho? So she attacked me in front of the cops. The cop's like, whoa, 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 we got to take you guys in. I'm like, listen, I'm like, I'm completely sober. At this point, I would sobered up. I'm like, I'm completely sober. A hotel's like right there. I'm like, I swear, I'll get him to the hotel. It'll be fine. So it's like, all right, let's just go. In the car the whole way, my brother's like, Danny, you know, what's wrong? Boom, punches him right in the face. We make our way back into the hotel room. He's like, babe, what's wrong with you? Bam, she punched him in the face. He puts her on the bed. And he's like, Tammy, what the fuck is your problem? And she kicked him right in the face, and I could hear his teeth, like, like, clench together. I couldn't take it anymore. I grabbed him around the throat. I dragged him out of the hotel room, pushed him into the hallway, shut the door behind us. He wants to get back in. I'm fighting him not to. We kind of, like, fight to a stalemate. I'm like, dude, let's get in our car and leave this bitch here right now. Like, let's just go. Let's just go. Go back home. Fuck her. She's like, dude, I brought her into this business. Like, I feel like I have to to make sure, you know, he's like, let's just go for a ride. So me and him went for a ride, and we talked about everything. And then, of course, when we got back, she's like, oh, hey, guys, ordered room service for you. She goes over gives my brother a kiss, tries to kiss me. I'm just like, don't fucking kiss me. Like, like it was just a normal thing. So long story long, no, me and her did not have a good relationship. Just because of crazy shit like that. That was just like a normal thing that happened all the time. So, that's like
1: kind of like scary like if you're in you know your position because obviously they yep. are older than you you think they're going to be more mature more responsible and you're like basically yeah. taking care of them or really I mean, taking care of her yeah
2: there, there was there was a time around like oh two oh three. Where I, it felt like I was the big brother and I've been seeing that shit since you know like so I was like 14 I remember that you know like I said when they had all the money in the world it was all the fucked up shit was happening um like uh I remember, like, one night, you know, I fell asleep. I had, like, my own room at their house and we all went to our rooms and I fell asleep. Later in that night, I hear, Johnny, Chris is trying to kill himself. So I run downstairs. He's passed out on the couch. She's raining punches down him as he's passed out. He wakes back up, and she pulls two knives out of the butcher block and is, like, stabbing at him. And I stand in front of him. He's like, dude, move. This shit happens every night. Like, this happens every night? He's like, yeah, don't worry about it. And then she like throws the knives on the ground and you know grabs a grabs the phone, locks herself in the car now he's banging on the door it was a such a such a fuck, but like I said, thankfully you know he got better and cleaned up his act and you know I guess that fucking uh, what 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 can i say i mean he he fucking loved her what you know, I could have I could have my opinion, but there there wasn't any change in his mind. Maybe there would be now had he been older and wiser. Because I got to think, I mean, my little sisters are older than he was when he died. So, it's, wow. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard to it's hard to think. I always looked at him as this like like Superman, you know, like he was the all-knowing big brother, and you know, he died at 33. So it's uh. It's it's kind of crazy to think about, you know. For sure, I mean, man, like he got way,
1: way, way uh, too early, way, way, way too young, for sure. But at, at that point, I guess you're young, dumb in love, and you kind of don't realize, you know, yeah. the, the situation you're in and the relationship you're in.
2: Right, and I think it was because, I mean, he had he had a couple other little girlfriends here and there that I remember, but he was, she was the first one they you know they met. He was. Wrestling at a show in her uh at her high school, and that's when they met and um you know he ever since then it was just you know those two were boyfriend and girlfriend and
0: i, I he,
2: he fucking loved her uh, you know I don't know what you know what else what else there is to like you know and i when I did the book, I just wanted to do it from a non biased Fucking point, you know. When she did something, when she did something good, put it in there. When she did something bad, instead of me going on a tangent like I just did to you,
0: mm-hmm. John would
2: just kind of reel it in and said, you know, there was an incident in in Massachusetts, and Johnny tried to get Chris to leave. You know, he, like he would, he would, he would sum things up a lot quicker, which is good for the book because, like I said, if I was to go on a tangent about everything, the book would be a freaking en- encyclopedia. But, so, yeah, we had to, you know, as far as the book goes, it it gets into things, but it doesn't get into, like, the details of stuff, if that right. makes sense. Yep. As much as much as I would have, but it's better that way because, you know, who cares, you know. But, like I said, then again, I, I, you know, I, I have a tendency to go on a tangent about that shit just because, you know, it's such a relief to not have to, like, fucking babysit her anymore. Yes.
1: Now, when they were in the WWF and, you know, he becomes the body Donna's and obviously she's with them eventually they'll get Dr. Tom Pritchard who will be zip and so they're zip and skip. Now, Dr. Tom always says he hated the gimmick. He said Chris
2: hated it. Is that true? Did
1: Chris hate it as much as Dr. Tom or was he happy because he was in the, <clears throat> the WWF?
2: I was going to say, I think he uh, he didn't hate it as much as Dr. Tom. He he really. I'm not going to say he enjoyed the gimmick. He enjoyed wrestling and this was the place that he wanted to wrestle. And this, uh, you know, I think a lot of the things he did when he was younger, it it was just like, he's like, all right, I'll do this now. You know, I'm, I'm paying my dues when I get older and, you know, you know, get If I do this now, I'll be rewarded in the end. It's kind of like Mm. how, how he felt about it. I think, you know, and, uh, he didn't particularly like, you know, particularly like the gimmick, but he was happy to be there, and it was validation. He could tell my parents, look, I'm making money at something that I love doing. So it, it kind of, like, validated, and, and he could, you know, say, hey, I told you so. You know, because one my, of my parents were like, you know, Christopher, you know, you have to go to college, you have to, and for him, it was just wrestling or bust, you know. He, he, he enjoyed his time in the WWF you know, despite being saddled with that gimmick, which, you know, he really didn't even mind that much.
1: It's one of those things that that time period, though, there was a whole silly gimmick. So it's not just them. I know what Dr. Tom means, like, he would rather not be in that gimmick. But that's, like, kind of par for the course during that time period. There was so much, you know, the Mantars, the Goon. I mean, yeah, just, everybody had a gimmick. Josie. Yep. They had
2: like, yeah, yeah, I, I remember all those guys. Your buddy yeah. Balls
1: was Santa Claus. I mean, they got a lot of crazy, <laughs> weird gimmicks.
2: Yeah, no, yeah, most definitely. And I don't know for some reason Vince thought my brother looked like a like a fitness like that Tony Little guy on the infomercials.
0: Mm-hmm. That, that's yep.
2: like he was going for like a for like a what do you call it for like a you know like like a late night infomercial fitness guy that was <laughs> yeah. like that was yep. his gimmick. So. Yeah, I don't know, but then when he went to ECW, kind of just got to to be more himself, which was which was great. I th- I think my you know my favorite work of his were was the E like you know some of the ECW stuff, and then some of the stuff when he you know got clean and was clear-headed and was just you know like re- he found his love again for the business. Not that he lost it, but he just got like really reinvigorated by. You know, by by being clean, being clear headed, and that let like last year, like year and a half of his life, he just really, really loved what he was doing. Again, like almost like he had found it again. You know. Yep. So. Yeah, didn't mean to didn't mean to make that run on too much, but yeah, he 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 liked it. He he liked anything I had to do with wrestling. <laughs> to, to be honest.
1: And also, too, I always say that Chris is in a different place. He's kind of on his way up, and Doctor Tom was kind of on his way out into like into the trainer position. So you know, obviously, I think they're both kind of coming together, but also going apart in different directions because one of them is going to end up being the
2: trainer, and one of them still in the prime of their career. Right, and and they also wanted to make a trainer position for my brother. Like they, like he was, like like they were going to put him on the back burner and let him be the trainer and teach guys like rock and Mark Henry and shit like that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and he even said, he's like, he's like I don't want to be a fucking trainer. He's like, I am, I only have a couple years to do this and to do it right in the prime of my career. And, you know, I don't want to be training people. I want to be, I want to be, you know, in this, you know, he's like, he's like, like throughout his whole business. He, he was never really selfish. He He never cared about putting people over, you know he was more than happy to do whatever but that's one thing he didn't want to go and be put on the back burner and and be a trainer which i mean trust me when he was 30 31 he's like why didn't i just stay and be a fucking trainer but at the time his head was you know he wanted to he wanted to be a star and and do you know and and, and chase his dream
1: yeah, way to me, way too young at that point. I mean, most guys are kind of get rolling at forty. You know what I mean? And he, I mean, he's oh, yeah. basically way, way too young uh, to be even considering that at that point. Plus, ECW, when he leaves and goes there, he might have had his best run. Just work, weight wise, uh, wrestling wise, he just was his promos, uh, the way his
2: presence, like everything, kind of came together for him in ECW. Yeah, and you know what? Like for me, the whole ECW time, I, I almost feel bad that I didn't. Appreciate it more. Then again, I was younger, and also like you know when I was that age with my friends, we we kind of run around the locker room, go talk to Sandman over here, go talk to Taz over here, watch a little bit of the match. Then you know what I mean. It's I I wasn't like sitting there like really zoning in on my brother's matches, Mm -hmm. and to to now I you know if I see him like wow I really like I see what he's doing and I really appreciate like 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 his artwork the way the way he did it you know and yep. uh where at the time i guess i was just too young to really you know to really have like a mind for wrestling you know like that but yeah now looking back i i love this because he he was always just the he wanted to entertain he wanted to entertain the fans first and foremost but he also wanted to entertain the guys in the back who were watching through the curtain and like you know what i mean he he wanted to entertain everyone so you know, and he he definitely <laughs> accomplished that, and then if he got his opponent to laugh or he he just loves like i like i can like relate it to like uh like like growing up you know when I was pitching on the on an all star game uh, you know for the all star team, I was so excited I couldn't wait to get to the field you know to to you know start warming up so I can you know so you know so I could pitch. That that was him before, you know, on the ride in the locker room, always happy, joking. Like, you know, some guys would be, like, real intense, and, you know, they didn't want to, like, talk before the matches. Not my brother. He was joking around, doing this, doing that. He, free, he, was, he loved it. That was his element, you know. Did he actually train you, like, when you were getting into the
1: business? I know you kind of want to follow in his footsteps, and his love for the business kind of made you get in, but did he actually
2: physically train you? if you can call it that, like, I, I would go early, take bumps before shows, um, then, you know, he, he showed me how to run the ropes, and then I think it was kind of like trial by fire, I remember like, being like 18, and we, uh, in 19, and me and him, were somewhere in upstate New York, and he's like, he's like, I don't know any of these guys, I'm gonna wrestle with my brother, and at the time, I, I, I think you read in the book that when I benched 500 pounds, I was 20. Because mm-hmm. after, after we did it, we went to the bar, and my brother was like, he was telling the bartender, check him out, he's 20 years old. Do you, you get to that part or no? Yes. Yep. So, so, you know.
1: Those, kind so, of freakish I mean. strength, by the way.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, so, needless to say, I was pretty freaking jacked. But, uh, like, you know, so let's say I'm like, like 19, 20. And uh he looks around the locker room. And he's like, "I'll just wrestle my brother in the main event." I'm like, "Really?" Like he's like, "Yeah." He's like, "But then we're in the backyard. Don't worry about it. Like I'll, I'll take care of it. Just keep your ears open." And you know that was my that was my first match. And if he wasn't so good, I'd probably kill him. I was just suplexing him like crazy. You know, belly to belly over the head suplex, hitting him with this that. He's bumping around for me. You know, we made it a great match I was on cloud nine on the ride home and then uh, and, and, and then he started like training me a little bit bumps you know like before shows guys would like line up and take arm drags like I would do that like I, I think my first 15 to 20 matches you know uh, was was against Chris on, on like smaller shows and then th- that got me comfortable being in front of people and all that stuff, and then i had so then I went and wrestled a couple other people, and then I went back and you know me and him had like I think my last two matches with him, I don't know if he went there to prove a point or whatever. he ran me ragged like i i I, I threw up after both of the matches in the locker room because he just it was like because like I said, mind you, I'm new, I'm very green." And I wanted to, like, like I wanted to call spots, you know, shoulder tackle, drop down, leapfrog, boom, boom, boom. When you hit the turnbuckle, pop back out. I'll grab you up, down, over the head, belly to belly. I'll go to the top. I'm going to do a on, You move, roll in. Like, I wanted to, like, know what I was going to do. And uh, my last couple of matches with him, when I first started, he'd be like, he's like, dude, he's like, we're not going to call any spots tonight. Just keep your ears open. He's like, the, the finish is going to be a sunset flip. So uh just so keep your ears open out there. I'm like, Yeah, are you gonna take the gimmick out of the corner? He's like, just keep your ears open out there, read the crowd and, you know, see you out there. And uh and I like I would learn things in the in the middle of the you know, in the middle of the match. I remember he's like uh he's like I'm gonna duck the clothesline, hit you with rolling suplexes. So, you know, uh like belly to back suplexes, duck the clothesline, he gets behind me and he picks me up and I took it like like I was amateur wrestling, like I like got to like a base, like all fours. And he gets back on me. He's like, no no, he's like, just tuck your head, and just go with me. I'm like, alright. So boom, then I did it. You know, he gave me with three rolling suplexes and then the release. And then I missed another clothesline. He gave me three more and the, So yeah, it was a lot of on the job, on the job training.
1: I feel like he didn't want to make it easy on you? Because you know you got that last name, you know what I mean? Like you. Oh
2: yeah, right?
1: Is that kind of like tough love, almost a
2: little bit? Yeah, yeah, tough love, and but he was also really, really complimentary all the time, you know, and like, like in my like prior to those matches, I think from his point of view, I had wrestled him a bunch of times and had gotten really good results, which was all because of him. I'm totally green. But maybe I could see myself thinking, like, you know, maybe getting, like, a little bit of a big head, and just being like, all right, I'm going to calm this kid down, you know. That's why he was, you know, uh, freaking running me ragged. Yeah. But, uh, like, I like I just think about how much I kicked the shit out of him in those, those like, when I was really green. I know it's in the book, but, you know, the the one the one night when I get involved with him in the Sandman's match, and I, uh, you know, Sam Man's like, kids, what we're gonna do. Get kid, slide in, get my cane, act like you're gonna hit me, turn around, hit your brother. Me and you, beers, and uh, then I'll cane you. I'm like, all right. And my brother is like, he's like, when you get the, he's like, when you when you get the cane, when you go to cane me, cane me on the top of the head, it'll make that cool sound. And you know, he's like, don't swing it like a baseball bat. I'm like, all right. So I get in there, and of course. You know, I get all excited, swing like a baseball bat, whack him right across the face. Black and blue stripes right across mm-hmm. his face. So, you know, he's like, dude, that was so good. That was so great. I'm like, oh, man, I, you know, I feel so bad. I hit you right across the face with it. He's like, it's all right, you know. So then the next night, I got a promo. He came out. We got face to face. And, uh, we we're going to do a pull apart. We got face to face. And before I traveled with him wrestling, I had been training to be a boxer since I was, like, 12. Like, I was, like, you know, at 12, I would just, like, whip hooks into the bag. And then somebody actually showed me how to box. So, I, you know, long story short, I wanted to be a boxer, and I had been training that way. But So we were in the ring face-to-face, and he pushed me, and I just went freaking boom, boom, boom. I hit him with a left, uh, left jab, right cross, and a left jab, uh, sorry, uh, left hook to the body blacked both of his eyes, he freaking hit the deck before the guys even got there. They pulled me off him. So now he's got a stripe across his face and two black eyes. So then later at his house, we're sitting there and he's, you know, he's like, oh, dude, you did so good, man. You did so good. I'm like, oh, man, look at your face. I'm like, give me a black eye. Give me a black eye. Give me a black eye. I like I pestered him to give me a black eye and uh, it probably took me like 45 minutes and finally he's like, I'm not going to give you any." Turned around and punched me right in the eye, so then I had a black eye and then uh so then it, after that, we went to breakfast, at my mom's the next day, and that's where she's like you what did the what did the moron brothers do to each other last night jesus christ <laughs> but then and then after that was uh a cage match that me and him had against each other, and you know the match was really really good, you know both of us. And again, we called nothing. I'm like, you want to do this? You want to do that? He's like, you can't really call spots in the cage, match. She's like, you know, we'll have the finish. We'll just go from there. So, you know, we were doing things where he'd like be climbing the top of the cage. We'd both get up there. I'd be hitting him. Of course, he'd fall off. And now I'm like standing at the top of the cage. So I'm like, screw it. It's like a crossbody off from the top of the cage. So this match for the finish, balls is coming in and cracking my brother with the chair to set up their feud. So Balls comes in, picks it up, and instead of hitting with the C part, he hits my brother with the part, with the bar, and it cracks right over the top of the head. Blood everywhere. So now he's got two black eyes striped across his face, cut on his head, and then after the match, we just got right behind behind the curtain. He's like, dude, I'm so freaking proud of you. He's like, let's get some tape He's like, and, and meet me under the bleachers because if Tammy sees this, she's going to freaking lose her mind she was at the show and uh so me and him went and hit like you know hit under the bleachers and uh you know we talked about the match for like a half hour and you know how so he, he was a, he was a good trainer but he was he was very very complimentary like if he would be like a trainer now he'd probably be in like the like he'd be a good cop to somebody else's bad cop because he wasn't a very uh wasn't a very angry person. He was always like super cool, laid back. Seemed like a very, just
1: not, you know, from a fan point of view, very positive, like happy going. Oh yeah. uh, Fun loving guy.
2: Yeah. Like what you see in the ring, how he enjoyed that. He just was like that in life. Like just very, very go with the flow. Very cool guy. You know, just, just love to laugh and joke. And, you know, that, that was, that was just him, you know, very, no he really he didn't take a whole lot of things seriously, you know, yep,
1: as far as you know that w b match that you were mentioning, did you just have one match for w b and and that was it
2: yeah i uh i, I worked me and Damien Adams tagged against balls mahoney and axel, and then something happened with uh so I was there as like a, an extra in case you needed someone to do this to do that to pretend to be a janitor to do whatever. And I would go, like, in the ring early. Like, Arn Anderson would, like, hold court in the ring and, like, do stuff. So I'd go, like, listen to Arn Anderson, bounce around in the ring. And then Axel was not with the WWE anymore. Walls was like, JC, this is our time. This is our time. I talked to Shane, blah, blah, blah. Like, me and you, we got to be, this is after my brother passed. He's like, he's like, me and you, we have to, you know, he's like, I, I talked to Shane. He give us the okay. Me and you are going to tag. We're going to tag. We're going to do it. And uh at the same time, I'm hearing from my parents, like, Johnny, please don't do this. So it was just really pulling me in like both ways. So, you know, I would show up to the shows, you know, to the WWE shows in and Sam and Sam time, like, Hey kid, what are you doing? Come get a payday. So I would go within driving distance. If it was in like Philly, you know, New York, anywhere in Jersey. I, you know, I'd go and be an extra, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know. Balls had told me that they that they wanted to make me and him a tag team for the new ECW. I don't know how true that was, but he was really friggin' pissed off when I, uh, you know, when I told him I was I was stepping away. So, you know, I I I, I can I, I totally understand where my parents are coming from. Um, I, I fell into a really great career after, after wrestling, and you know, you know, life's been good. And I get to say that I that I did wrestle for for WWE, but yeah. you know, who, like you know, who knows what it could be, or you know, I I don't know, but I, I'm I'm happy to have done at least you know what I did. And you wrestled for TNA too, right? You were part of
1: that, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, great I for
2: paper. TNA, yep, yep. and uh, yeah, I, I wrestled I, I wrestled in. I don't know how many different states in Puerto Rico, um, you know, held titles in the Midwest. I was a hardcore champion and, like, the New Jersey hardcore champion, like, twice. You know, I I did a lot. Like, the, the, the freaking legends that I wrestled are, you know, I mean, you name them, I, I wrestle them. You know, like, like Prudus Beefcake, Jake the Snake, Tito Santana, King Kong Bundy, Superfly Snooker. Like, when, the, when they'd come to town, they'd book them Against me, because I, like, had this little formula that, you know, I'd, uh, of course, I'm the heel. They're the good guy. I, would like, break their eyes, boom, shoot them to the turnbuckle, splash, do a little strut, like like flare, turn around, let them bump me, bump me, bump me, shoot me in, give me a backdrop. They'd fire up. I'd powder. Then uh, bitch and moan to the, you know, to the fans for a while. Jump back up in the apron. They'd go to grab me. You know, I'd wring <laughs> their neck over the top rope. Get back in, get some fucking heat on them, and uh, then miss something. Hit me with something. Hit me with the finisher. One, two, three, and we'd make that last like a half hour, like that little thing I just told you. And so it, it and it worked. I mean, we we'd do like a lot of different variations of it. It was something I came up with that that would make me do most of the the flying around and taking bumps, and they could, you know, look like legend that's kicking my ass so it was good and it was also you know good uh, you know good experience and it kind of not that I'm anywhere near what my brother is or was but I can understand how I could just see a big guy in a locker room and say hey, I can have a match with you just come over here and listen to what I tell you to do and you know what I mean Yep. So it kind of like made more sense to me then. ring general that that's what my brother was, you know. He he was a he was a ring general, five star general. He was the you know. It was uh it, it was something else to watch him work. And what I think is also very cool is like a lot of uh, a lot of my friends who were wrestlers have been like reading the book and watching the matches simultaneously. Like Ooh, great idea, fun.
1: actually. Damn, that's yeah. a good idea.
2: So like they they've been like, oh yeah, right now I'm on your brother and Terry Funk's ladder match. And then, uh, you know, my buddy the other day, he's like, he's like, oh, uh, I just watched a segment. Uh, when I, I came out with the with the BWO and ECW, and uh, I was like 14, I was a fat kid. And we, me and the bunch of guys came through the crowd with the BWO signs, and we were supposed to hop the railing. I went to hop the railing, and I fell on my face on freaking – I forget if it was live TV or pay-per-view. Then I got up with the sign. And then when I got back to the locker room, I remember seeing Louis Spicoli and, like, all those guys around the They were all, like, you know, watching. They were like, oh, you took your first bump. And, and I was freaking mortified. I was like, no, I'm like, some guy grabbed my leg and tripped me. It was totally my fault, <laughs> you know. But yep. uh, that that freaking uh, – that – that uh. That that little video clip has followed me everywhere. It was on like the rise and fall of UCW. It's on like all this different stuff, but it was just kind of happen because when they the, the the like me and my friends, at like a we were like in eighth grade. We had like a backyard wrestling federation, and we'd go to the UCW arena with our gear because there was a, like a ring in the back of the arena, and we'd like go back there, like put our gear on, take pictures for our little programs and shit, and. uh, like I remember when they're doing the BWO thing, like Steve Richards is like shit. He's like he's like what is uh he's like he's like what do, he's like, what is Diesel wear? We're like, We think he wears I'm like, we think he wears like leather fingerless gloves. Like, you guys have that? We're like, Yeah, yeah. We're like here. He's like I mean, we're like, Oh, you need sunglasses too. So like we're giving, we're dressing them up using the shit from our bag. People noticed that we had a bunch of stuff. Terry Fung's like, Oh, can I use one of your bandanas? We're like, Yeah, here you go. You know, gave a black bandana to Mustafa to tie on. So it was, it was funny because we, like, had this whole bag full of, like, our gear for, our you know, our little wrestling federation. People, like, digging through it fine and shit. But, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool. That's awesome. You guys were kind of like the
1: uh, the underground of the underground, like the underground <laughs> uh, backyard league that wrestled
2: in ECW at the arena. Yeah, well, no, we actually wrestled in my buddy Justin Hankey's backyard, but uh, my brother would always make our shows. And uh, he would uh, he'd be the he he would be the announcer. He'd have a little program we printed out. He'd oh, be the awesome. announcer. Yeah, he'd be the announcer. He'd be a special guest referee, and we charged three bucks to get in. And you know, all the kids from the like other towns and younger kids would want to come just to sit next to my brother and get his autograph. But we got there three bucks, so.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Did he want a percentage of the uh, the
2: sales? No, nah, he he let us hang on to that. <laughs> Nice. Very cool. Uh we
1: I guess we're pretty much the exact same age. So we we used to do all that backyard wrestling stuff too. I mean that that was that was the best. I mean you can oh, imitate so you, know, you know you imitate the uh, the guys you see on TV obviously you imitate your brother. I mean pretty cool stuff. That was so much fun doing that stuff.
2: Oh yeah, man. It was it was definitely awesome. As far as like
1: current wrestling and I know obviously we're talking mostly old school stuff in the book. Do you pay attention to current wrestling, or or is that gone by the wayside? You don't really care about it anymore.
2: Um, if if I if I turn it on and I see someone I know, like like I became buddies with Brian Myers, if, if I see him on there, you know, I'll, I'll watch his match. If I see Dreamer on there, I'll watch his match. You know, if I see someone I know, I'll you know I'll check it out. But yeah, I don't really I don't really watch it anymore. And, you, you, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't really uh, – it's not because I don't like it. It's just, you know, it's still kind of like, you know, it's I, I freaking miss my brother, to, to be honest. You mm-hmm. know? So I just I, – I'll watch a little bit if I see someone I know, but I haven't really been following it like that. It's like a little hard to watch, you know what I mean? I guess that's kind of – Yeah, I mean, at the time I'm watching it, but it's like – if it's like if I'm, it's like something I'm trying to fall asleep to, I can't fall asleep watching wrestling. All the time, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It just, you know, just I I just don't anymore because I I don't do it anymore. And I'm just like fuck. Like part of me, of course, once you wrestle, it's, like in your blood, you miss doing it. So you know, for those those reasons. But I even I mean I I will watch it like I said if there's somebody. You know who I think is exciting, like Ricochet. I'll I'll watch him, or I'll watch. You know, I, I've always been like a big fan of the like the high flyers, because I was always big. I, I would try to do high flying stuff. I could do a couple. I could do a backflip and a on. but the guys, you know, like the real like the Ray Mysterios of the world, uh, and you know the 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 with the guys named or Neville. Like,
0: mm-hmm.
2: like I was always like a huge fan of those guys' stuff. So, if one I of those like, guys around, I'll check it out. I feel like it isn't as good
1: though as it was in the '80s and the '90s. It's just
2: not the same
1: as it once was.
2: Yeah, I, I hear you, and I was like, and I think I, I'm, I'm gonna. Uh, I was gonna say something, but I was, I was talking to my my friends, uh, some of my some of my indie wrestling friends, and we were talking about. Like how weird the transition must have been, like around the same time, like when my brother and Jericho and Lance and all those guys were breaking in because it went from like a real like listen to the crowd style don't don't like call a million spots style to like you know to this much faster paced like more like move based mhm yep wrestling you know like there was, like, a definite, like, transition, like, around the, like, late 80s, or early 90s into the later 90s, or early 2000s when those guys were, like, breaking in and then, you know, so it it had to be, like, you know, that's why I love those guys are so good because they know how to work both, they know how to use the psychology and they're athletic enough to do all the stuff, so. Such good storytellers, that's uh, right. definitely key, yep. So yeah, I think that's that. That that was like a lot of uh, because to them, you know, it's it's not just executing moves. It's it's like doing things that make sense, you know, based on the the reaction they're getting from the crowd and like you know, and 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 what works. So it's like, how are you going to plan all this stuff out if you don't know how the crowd's going to react to it? So that, I think that's, like, a lot of their, like, their, like, mentalities.
1: It definitely is uh, different now. You know, it's much more storytelling than now. It's not even caring about the crowd. I, I mean, this is pre-pandemic uh, and pre-COVID, but it was almost like they're going to do the moves no matter what the crowd reacts. It's a, definitely a different ballgame
2: nowadays. Yeah, like, like you know, I think, uh, I don't know if it's in the book or my brother was telling me or, or somebody was telling me, like, when my brother – developed that that power bomb off the top rope and you know he was uh, like a couple of matches under the, the the main the main event and the uh, the guy uh, kicked out of it and then, Bobby Blaze yeah
0: yep. yeah
2: and then like he, they he, they caught a freaking earful from, from Kevin Sullivan like if you ever freaking do that shit again like you know this guy better be taken out in a freaking stretcher like are you fucking insane like you know that was like finishes were very like protected and you know it was uh it, it was a different ball game like people really uh, you know I, I don't i don't know quite the, the words for it but they like like protect their stuff and they made sure it was strong and they the, the like this you know like the, the the psychology of it you know Yep. And that's a great part in
1: the book. I won't give too much away, but in that conversation down in Smoky Mountain with Chris and Bobby Blaze, Sullivan, you know, does berate them. But in Chris's mind, he was kind of mimicking Benoit, Chris Benoit and Jushin Thunder Liger's match in Japan where they did kick out of it. But Sullivan kind of makes the point they haven't seen it in the States. This is this is like an unbelievable finish. So it, it's like a good little wrestling lesson that, that he learned there. Obviously, he's super young in '94 and stuff like that when 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 he was doing that. But that's like that was a really cool story. I was like, oh, that's where he got that from. Yeah, Cause that, that's I mean, it's just, just an insane move. I mean, man, uh, if you watch ACW, him landing on like Jerry Lynn or Lance Storm and stuff, you're like, holy crap! Oh my god, he killed the guy. Um, but you forget, you know, he kind of probably you know, uh, well, he made you mentioned the book, he gets it from Benoit. So really, really cool finish, cool stuff. And I just love that story too, because Sullivan is like old school to the bone too. Like, oh yeah. Protect, protect, protect the business.
2: Yeah, no, for real. And I, like, I remember just to jump forward, like when, uh, you know, when my brother was back on the comeback trail, he was wrestling, uh, he was, he was wrestling this dude cruel from, uh, from New York who was such a freaking great worker, but you know, he, heavier than Chris, taller than Chris. And I heard him talk over the match and my brother's like, all right, I'll do the top real power bomb. And I, I, I don't know. I hadn't seen, I, I, I had never took it from him and I, didn't, I never saw him. I hadn't seen him do it in the n- recent future. And I was like, holy shit, dude, is he going to be able to, to pull this shit off? You know, like I, I was right. nervous yeah. for him, yep. you know, and then, the freaking match was flawless and he pulled it off better than ever. And I was, I was so, I like, think I never doubted him again after that. And that you know, it was just, it was, that's when I was like, yes, he's back. Like, you know, he's got his, he you know, he, he's got his freaking swagger back. I was, I was so, so happy after, after that, you know. But that is
1: that is if you think about it, if you're the on the receiving end of that move, it's got to be scary as hell
2: because you don't yeah. know if he's
1: going to get you up for the rotation or not. But I mean, he's athletic and
2: strong to be able to pull that off on that guy. Yeah, and it's like it's like how much do you try to help? Like you don't want to help too much. What if you put? You know, because I've seen I think, the, I think the guy's name was like Esha Rios or something, mm-hmm. and he was going to do the top rope powerbomb? The guy up, and it's almost like the guy sat up too fast, and they fell backwards outside of the, completely from the top turnbuckle to the outside, like just fell, like yes, never yep. like executed it.
0: So it's got to be like
2: a fine line, you know. I, I guess you're kind of, you know, doing a little bit of help. My brother pretty much is in control of what that was going to go on, you know.
1: Man, and I've seen
2: BJ Whitmer.
1: Try to do that in Ring of Honor to this to uh, Jimmy Jacobs, and that he fell backwards and literally almost decapitated him on the ring apron. Like he, he, they both fell backwards, and his uh, Jacobs' head just fell directly down. Like that's how far back they fell, and right on the apron, almost literally could have killed him. I mean, it just it's such yeah. a da- dangerous, dangerous move, but it looks so awesome. Like as far as like, wow, I can't believe he pulled that off.
2: Man, yeah. So sometimes I, you know, I, I get nervous, you know, for the guys now. You know, like how, like the miles they're putting on their body. Like I like I remember seeing, you know, just like 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 everybody's doing like a lot of dives. I remember seeing the one guy, like like every match, uh, I forgot the fellow's name, but he would do like a moonsault from the from the inside to the to the outside and land on his feet first before he impacts into the other guys. And you know, it's just doing them a backflip and landing on your feet and it, you know if you keep doing that over and over it, it, it takes its toll on your ankles it's just you know I, I just worry about them like later on you know what I mean like oh they're, like,
1: de- they're definitely going to be hurting as they get older yeah there's yeah. no doubt about it so but now it's like
2: you, you know you 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 know you want to tell them you know work smarter but again I mean they're they're thing and they're loving what they're doing and you know who am I to knock it? I'm not knocking it. I'm just you know a little bit concerned. I, I don't want. To, I want to see these guys, you know, have have good long careers. But yes, absolutely. Now
1: as we hit the wind down, we wrap it up. We head towards the finish here. Want to mention, of course, again, no gimmicks needed. The Chris Candido book by John Cosper and yourself. Give us like a, a big push of why everyone kind of uh, needs. To get this book, I know why it's great, but just tell the fans kind of why they need to get this book.
2: I think for the fans who who appreciate my brother's work in the ring, I think you know they'll they'll definitely appreciate it even more in knowing the type of person that he was, and that you know he was just those fans that I've met him know, but that he was just you know just a very really kind, awesome guy who uh you know who, who was he really never met a stranger and he was just so cool for everyone and you know for the young wrestlers I just want it to be like like for them to read it like you know you you could read it as like a cautionary tale. You know, you when you make a whole lot of money in your early twenties, you know, be careful because like the trappings of fame and all that money you that you think is never gonna run out, you know, is gonna run out you know, if you don't, if you don't take care of yourself. And I mean, it could also be a motivational story about, you know, if you, you know, you got, you know, if, if all you want to do is wrestle, then, then go to the gym every day, train as much as you can, get as much ring time as you can. Just have tunnel vision. If you, if you, if this is something you want, go get it. You know, like that's what my brother did. Like, you know, and he also, you know, with the same way he he went after wrestling, he also he also conquered his his demons. And you know, once he felt like that was impacting him too much, and I kind of brought that to his attention, even though it was to his attention. But you know, he 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 was able to 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 overcome those demons through his love for wrestling. So the, the, there's a lot of different reasons. It could, like I said, it could be a cautionary tale. It could be a an, an, an inspirational tale, so yeah. There's a lot of reasons that you know I that that people would really enjoy it.
1: Now, where can everybody get the book? Where is it available? So, if you want a, if you want a signed copy,
2: you can get you can get it from eat dot com. That's John Cosper's website. He's got a bunch signed by me and him, and uh, or you can just go to Amazon. It's on amazon.com. Just Chris Candido, no gimmicks needed.
1: Great stuff. Now, as far as like yourself and getting out there on social media, what are your plugs, and where can everybody find
2: you? Uh, my, you can just normally I'm just on Twitter. Just uh, like like anything wrestling based is on Twitter. Just uh, at Candido uh, one eighteen C A N D I D O one one eight, and uh, yeah, you'll still find me there.
1: All right, awesome stuff, and it's a great damn book. I suggest everybody get it. Chris Candido, No Gimmicks Needed by uh, Johnny Candido and John Cosper. Great stuff. Johnny, thank you uh, so much for all time. Really appreciate it, and I hope everything goes well uh, with all the book sales. Thanks, brother Brother